All right, guys. Uh, like I said, today's uh, kind of a busier morning than usual. I was just had Lisa pray for me because I feel like rushed and like I want to get through everything, but I also want to like be present in the moment, enjoy um, the things that God's so clearly doing in our midst. Uh, right after gathering, we're gonna be we're gonna be celebrating baptisms. Um, that is, if you're gonna clap about anything, clap about that. Like it's so awesome. Um, we get to celebrate uh, new life. We get to celebrate Jesus' transforming power. Um, we, saw, we, we baptized Tiffany yesterday in the ocean. It was awesome. It was amazing. Uh, we get to baptize Lisa and Rosie this morning. Yes. Like what a privilege it is to be able to celebrate, um, like legitimately, like be able to celebrate what Jesus has done amongst us and his transforming power, that we get to be new creations in him with new desires it's just so cool, man. So we're stoked about that. It's a big deal for us. So we're going to celebrate afterwards. I want to invite everybody out. We're going to go to Blackbird in Old Town, have lunch and celebrate. Um, yeah, I think one of the things God keeps growing me in is actually giving myself to the present moment um, and actually trusting him and faith in it. You know what I mean? Um, and part of that is like actually giving myself over to celebrate. Not just going through the motions of like attending the birthday party and getting my family ready and showing up and having a gift and cool, yeah, yeah, we had fun, okay, good, uh, but actually like giving myself over to celebrating. And what's better than celebrating new life in Jesus? So that's what we're going to do. I want to invite you out to Blackbird. Um, we're going to celebrate together, okay? Uh, if you're new with us, we are in the middle of two series right now. Um, we, we started a series called Jesus Is Going Through the Gospel of John uh, f- several weeks ago. And what happened was, we're still in the middle of it, we're going to complete it and everything, but what happened was we felt like God was really doing something in our community. Um, and Herrick and I, we were praying, and it was really kind of funny because several of you came forward having questions relating to finances, whether it was saving or budgeting or giving or tithing or you name it, okay? So we, th- we thought, okay, there's the sheer volume of people coming forward and, and seeking kind of guidance and counsel in this is enough as a pastor to cause you to go, maybe we need to press pause on John for just a minute and address what we feel like God is stirring up in God's people, okay? There's this, I've, I've used this before, but um, in the Old Testament, you had uh, the Israelites, the people of God in the desert, in the wilderness, and God was leading them. He was manifesting himself as this cloud, and he would lead them. He would, he would move, and he would settle on an area, and, and the Israelites would follow the cloud. When the cloud stopped, they would stop. And when the cloud moved, they would move. And when the cloud stopped, they would stop. It was this beautiful picture of the people of God following God. And we want to be that kind of church, friends. Like, we don't want to be so in control of, of what happens on a Sunday that we, we've mapped out this series and we have it planned and we knew that God was calling us to do it. We're not going to steer from that. Like, sometimes God, actually, I would say this, oftentimes God interrupts our plans because he wants to get a hold of something and what he wants to get a hold of is our heart. Okay, so we, we, we felt really convinced that this is where God was leading us. We, we pressed pause on the John series and we started doing this series called Treasure, um, Following Jesus with Finances. And one of the things that we said from the very beginning was that this series is not a series that's primarily about money. This is a series that's primarily about Jesus. He's the center of everything we do as a church. Everything. Every message, every meeting, everything, okay? Uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles if you have them with you. Um, go ahead and flip open to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to be in 1 Timothy 6 today. And just to kind of like bring you up to speed, we've covered a, quite a bit in the last few weeks through this series um, we've covered how money has this power, 
Money has this power to reveal what we worship. And it has the power actually to redirect our worship because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. We talked about how the disciple of Jesus, the follower of Jesus, is a steward of the things that God has graciously given them, not an owner. The difference between a steward and an owner. We talked about budgeting. We talked about savings. We talked about tithing. We talked about giving to those in need inside the church and outside the church. Like We've covered quite a bit. Um, but today, we're going to talk about something that I find is kind of an interesting uh, topic when we talk about you know, money with Christians and stuff. Today, we're going to talk about spending. We're going to talk about spending. Uh, does anybody, show of hands, does anybody like to spend money? Yeah, most of us, right? Um, a little retail therapy, you know? Feeling down, need to head to the mall. <clears throat> uh, there are some of us who absolutely love to spend money. We find pleasure in spending money. Yet, here's the thing. There are also people who hate to spend money. Yeah. That's <laughs> a handful of you are like, that's me. So there's those who love to spend money, those who hate to spend money, because here's the thing. If you're spending, it means you're not saving. So it makes us feel, some of us feel really uncomfortable. Today we're going to talk about what it looks like to follow Jesus in the area of spending money, okay? Of, of enjoying the blessings associated with spending money. So I'm going to pray before we jump in. Will you, um, will you join me in prayer? Will you do me a favor? Um, I'm just feeling funky this morning. Like I told you, I feel rushed and I really want to honor you. I want to serve you. I want to honor God with his word. So I'm going to pray for us. Will you just kind of maybe shut up, a, shut up a, a pray for me? A prayer for me. That'd be great, okay? Uh, Father, we, we, we really are grateful for your grace that covers us. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your sovereign grace and will in our lives. That really does give me so much security knowing that like you really are the Lord of all things. And nothing is too far from your grasp. Um, so I pray for us this morning um, that you really would guide us, Holy Spirit, in this, I- this idea of following you in every area of our life, especially when it comes to finances. Uh, I pray um, that you would help me to honor these precious people, to serve them. Thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for the ways that you, um, you, really, do, you really do call us closer to yourself, God. You're kind and you're merciful and you're patient with us. So I pray for your blessing this morning. In your holy and beautiful name, Jesus, amen. Okay, so 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, we're going to read verses 17 through 19, okay? I'm going to read these to you right now. I'm in the ESV translation. Verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Okay, Uh, if you're taking notes this morning, uh, we're gonna talk about two things. We're gonna talk about the lies that rob us and we're gonna talk about the blessings available to us. Okay, the lies that rob us and the blessings available to us. Uh, Verse 17, I'm going to read this to you again. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Okay? For starters, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, his spiritual son. Okay? But he's addressing rich Christians here. Now, um, I remember when I was in high school, 
And you guys remember when you have an like orientation, you're a freshman, you're coming into high school, you have orientation. They, so they set you up with like a, a meeting with like a guidance counselor. You guys remember this? Did anybody do this or is this just me? Raise your hand. Let me, come on, participate with me. Yeah, great. So you guys know what I'm talking about. You, you're coming in, you're picking your classes, you have a guidance counselor who wants to help you kind of like, kind of form your journey through, through high school to ultimately get you to college and a career. And it's interesting because I, you know, I remember this, I remember this meeting and I sat down with this woman who's very kind um, and they would ask you kind of like, you know, do you know what college you want to go to? And, and do you have any idea what kind of career you want to pursue and all that kind of stuff, right? They're trying to help steer you. They're trying to help serve you in that, you know? And I remember her handing me this binder and it, it was, th- it was thick, you know, and it had all these pages in it and, and each page in the binder had like a different career option. There's all these different things, you know, and on the page it would have like the title, it would say, you know, like shift supervisor or, you know, the factory manager or associate of whatever. Like it just had all these different potential careers and jobs that you could pursue. So that would be like, you know, each page would have the title of the job and then it would have the summary of the job, right? And then it would have the education that you needed to be able to be, um, to be able to pursue that kind of a career. And then it would also have the estimated annual salary, Okay, so you, I mean, think, I'm probably like 100 pages in this binder, and I remember looking through it, and I remember her kind of thinking, anything, any, like any of these jobs stand out to you? Like, what, what would you like to pursue? And I remember I would look through the binder. Guess which job I picked? Yeah. I picked the highest paying one. I just flipped through and just, all I didn't, I didn't read the job descriptions. I was like, where's, give me that, where's the dollar? Who's going to pay me the most? I remember flipping through those. I didn't care at all about what the job actually was. Like what I'm going to spend 40, 50 hours a week doing didn't matter near as much as that salary that I was going to take home at the end of the week. Every single page, right? And I remember talking with friends. Uh, I remember talking with friends and classmates because they had to go through the same thing. I'm like, hey, like, did you see the binder? Like, yeah, I saw the binder. What job did you pick? You know, and they were like... Uh, it was funny because I feel like the entire freshman class wanted to be doctors and lawyers, like all of them, because it was the highest paying thing inside that binder. Uh, and it was funny because it seemed like the priority for most of us in, in selecting a career, it, it wasn't to like contribute to society in a productive way. It wasn't to like do what you're really gifted at. The priority for most of us was the same priority that I had, and that was to be as rich as possible. The money, man. The money was what mattered. I'm going to read some stats uh, to you that were really kind of alarming for me. I didn't, I didn't know these before this week. 1% of the world's population has nearly the same amount of wealth as the rest of the 99%. So the entire world. So let's say there's 100 people in here for the sake of math. There's 100 people in here. That means that if Herrick's that 1%, he's the one person, he's the 1%, he has as much wealth and money as the rest of you combined, okay? 1% of the world's population has nearly the same amount of wealth as the rest of the 99% combined. If you make more than $50,000 a year, you are among that 1%, that top 1%. Check this out. If your entire household, okay, so think about your household, everybody involved, all of you, if your entire household makes more than $10,000 a year, you are richer than the vast majority of the planet. 10 grand a year. So friends, congratulations. You and I are rich. 
if we look through the binder, man, we, we found our little niche. We're rich. Paul here in this verse, he's addressing rich Christians. That's literally who he's addressing. That means he's talking to me. He's talking to you. And he's urging rich Christians not to be haughty, okay? Uh, this isn't like, you know, my wife's not in here, but this isn't like Ebony Logue's a hottie, okay? <laughs> when he says the word haughty, what the word haughty means, <laughs> what the word haughty means is to be arrogant or excessively proud, okay? So when you think haughty, don't think attractiveness, think arrogance, think excessively proud, okay? And here's the thing. I think we would all agree with this. Pride is an incredibly dangerous thing. It's an incredibly subtle thing. The vast majority of people who are struggling with pride have no idea because they're proud. Make sense? Pride's incredibly dangerous. Pride is when you elevate yourself above other people for any reason. And it's really destructive. So Paul, he tells rich Christians, us, not to be proud but to set their hopes on God, who he is, what he's done, instead of money, okay? Now, here's what I want to do. I want to address two lies, okay, relating to money that Christians are often tempted to believe, okay? So if you're not a Christian, I'm so stoked you're here. If you're like, hey, I'm just kind of testing the waters on this Jesus thing, great. You get to see behind the curtain of some of the, two of the lies that I see in our culture Christians often believe, okay? We're going to talk about these two lies, and that in these verses, Um, Paul writes to 1 Timothy, he completely dismantles these lies. Okay, it's a beautiful thing. The first lie is this, the, the, uh, what is it? Yeah, the prosperity gospel. Have you guys heard about this? The prosperity gospel, it's kind of like, also known as like the health, wealth, name it and claim it thing. Prosperity gospel. Uh, It's a false gospel. It's a lie. Okay, let me read a quote to you. Joe, uh, Joe Carter says this, quote, the prosperity gospel also known as the health and wealth gospel or by its most popular brand, the word of faith movement, claims that God rewards increases in faith with increases in health and or wealth. So, so goes your faith, so goes your health and your wealth. You tracking with this idea? One more quote for you. Stephen Hunt says this, it, the prosperity gospel, means that health and wealth are the automatic divine right of all Bible-believing Christians and may be procreated by faith as part of the package of salvation. Since the atonement of Christ includes not just the removal of sin, but also the removal of sickness and poverty. Friend, the prosperity gospel, it essentially teaches that your material wealth is the result of the amount of faith that you have. So if you're wealthy, that means that you have strong faith and God is pleased with you. If you're poor, if you're struggling, it's because your faith isn't strong enough. It's, this is actually like really popular. Um, I'm going to be in Africa this March, um, visiting some churches that we partner with, and the Word of Faith movement has gone crazy in Africa. And usually, there's a reason for that, because usually, um, it preys on poor people. Because they want to they fix, fix and adjust their financial situations. It's actually really popular, but it's completely bogus. Um, For starters, here's the thing. Nobody in the history of the world, hear me say this, nobody in the history of the world had had more faith or stronger faith than Jesus. And Jesus was homeless and really poor, okay? Here's what I want you to see. 
what I want you to see is that the prosperity gospel, it ultimately promotes pride. It says, I have wealth, therefore I'm elevated. And not just materially, but spiritually. So the result of the lie of the prosperity gospel is pride. The very thing that Paul is urging rich Christians not to fall into. Okay, that's the first lie. The second lie. The second lie is the poverty gospel, okay? Let me read you another quote. Jamie Munson says this, quote, While prosperity theology links personal holiness to personal wealth, poverty theology makes the opposite error by teaching that it is godly or, I'm sorry, by teaching that it is godly to be poor and sinful to be rich. There are many problems with this perspective, starting with the fact that Jesus was rich before coming to earth, and he will be rich as the forever king, reigning over a perfectly sinless kingdom. Friends, here's the thing about the poverty gospel. It's just as dangerous as the prosperity gospel because they both lead to pride. They both lead to like elevating ourselves above others. The prosperity gospel says, I'm justified because I'm wealthy. I'm justified because I have more money, okay? The poverty gospel says, I'm justified because I'm not. Before I jump into making sure that you understand what both of these are, those of you that are kind of tracking with me, which lie are you prone to believe? Prosperity gospel, I'm justified by what I have. I'm justified because I'm wealthy. Or the poverty gospel, I'm justified because I don't have wealth. Which one are you more prone to believe? Which lie? Personally, I'm way more prone to believe the lie of of the poverty gospel. I'm way more prone. Here's how it plays out in my life, okay? Um, when I was living in San Diego, a friend of mine, he works for this, um, this company. Um, they, they make like artisan handmade leather and canvas goods. They make amazing stuff. They make like bags and things that will last a lifetime, okay? But because they use such high quality materials and because they pay their workers really well, their stuff's not cheap. It's really expensive, but it's incredibly high quality. So he made me a backpack. It's this gorgeous leather and canvas backpack. I love it. It'll last me forever. I'll give it to my kids when I die, right? But he gave me this backpack, and the backpack costs almost $500. Yeah, many of you are like, whoa, $500 for a backpack? Like, that's, you can get a Jansport for like, what, 30, 40 bucks? Like, $500 for a backpack's intense. And I remember I would be like, I used to work out of coffee shops a lot. I still do, but I'd have my bag with me, my backpack, you know, with my laptop and my books and stuff, and I'd set up shop. And um, people that would know that I'm a church planner, I'm in, I'm in ministry, they'd be like, oh, you have so-and-so, that you have that backpack. They know what it was. And my first response to them being like, either, either complimenting my backpack or knowing what it was and knowing how much it costs, my first response is, yeah, yeah, my friend made it for me. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't pay for this. He, gave it, he, he made it for me. He, he, he made it. I just received it as a gift, you know? I was very, very quick. I, I found myself making sure that people knew that, like, I justified myself by my lack of wealth. I wouldn't, I'm not the type of person that would spend $500 in a backpack. That's not who I am. Uh, and in 2017... Uh, me and Ebony got to go on a really memorable trip. So she, she has been in love with Paris her whole life. 
Okay, since she was a little girl, all she's wanted to do, she wanted to go to Paris and she wanted to eat baguettes and cruise the city and all this stuff, right? Drink wine, have cheese. She just has a Parisian heart, okay? All the, the beauty and the architecture and all that, right? And so forever I've wanted to take her to Paris. And so in 2017, we got to go. We got to go, we, got, we spent a week and a half in Europe. We did Paris and we did Rome and it was awesome, Okay, and it was funny because when I was like letting people know that we were going to go on this trip, I started to get all insecure because I'm like, they know I'm a church planner, like they know I'm in ministry, and yet I can go on a European vacation. What, uh, and I was like struggling with this. So when people would say like, "Oh, that's so cool, you guys get to go to Paris," I'm like, "Yeah, yeah I use credit card points. It was totally free. Like we didn't pay anything out of pocket. Like we got." I found myself again, guys justifying myself. Are you tracking with this idea? Do you see how that's prideful? I'm not the type of person that would spend $500 on a backpack like those people. I'm not the type of person who would go on a European vacation. (laughs) Now it sounds ridiculous, but that was the condition of my heart, man. I was justifying myself struggle with feeling the need to qualify some of the material blessings in my life. Because I think it justifies me. Friend, what does it look like for you? Do you err on the side of the lie of the prosperity gospel? Causes you to spend money in ways that probably aren't good for you? Or on the poverty gospel, causes you to not spend money? because of what other people think. One more quote for you. <clears throat> Jamie Munson says this quote, money does not indicate one's position before God because God doesn't look at the bank account. He looks at the heart. In this regard, the haves are no better or worse than the have-nots. God does not require his people to be poor, nor does he promise that all of his disciples will be wealthy. As Paul teaches so well, our righteousness, our salvation, our acceptance before God, our faith, our blessing have nothing to do with money and everything to do with Jesus, man. Like, I don't think that any of us would say, you know, the amount of money we have or don't have is what justifies us. None of us would verbally say that. But sometimes we live like it. I know I'm not alone justifying myself in the ways that I have. I know you're just like me. It just looks different, maybe different flavors, okay? In verse 17, Paul is urging Christians not to put our hope in money or material wealth. And here's the thing. How do we know if our hope is in money or material wealth? How do we know? We know if we justify ourselves by having it or by not having it. That's how we know. And the result every single time is pride. You can't escape it. Every single time is pride. Our wealth or lack of wealth elevates us above other people. Are you tracking with this idea? Can I get an amen if you are? Okay, thank you. Um, Like I said, like I'm not the type of person that's going to spend $500 on a backpack. That's for those people. I'm not that person that would go on a vacation to Paris. Come on. If our hope is in money, the result will always lead us to pride. So here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that both the prosperity gospel and the poverty gospel are lies. They're not true, okay? They say you're justified by how much or how little you have. 
They are lies that, listen to me, rob you of the true blessings associated with the money that God provides to you. Let's talk about the blessings. Okay, the second thing, the blessings available to us. Now, when we talk about money, there are really only three things that we can do with it, if you think about it, okay? We can spend it, we can save it, and we can give it. Now, I already talked at length about saving and giving um, in the series. If you want to get caught up on that, the messages are all on like the podcast and the website. You can listen to that for free. Feel free to listen back. But I, I want to talk about spending money in light of what Paul says in verse 17, okay? So let's read it one more time. First uh, Timothy 6, verse 17. As for the rich, that's us, every single person in this room most likely, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, arrogant, or prideful, right? Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. At the end of verse 17, who does Paul say is the provider of our money? God, yes, okay? Paul, what he's doing here is he's pointing us to stewardship, not ownership. We've talked about this at length in this series, okay? He's pointing us to stewardship, uh, someone who manages something that belongs to somebody else versus ownership, this is mine, I do what I want with it, okay? Paul's pointing us to that. And he also says something remarkable here. He says, one of the reasons God provides us with things, and that includes money, is to enjoy it. Now, uh, in the very first message in this series, I talked about this, um, but I think it's really helpful to mention it again. When it comes to approaching money as like being a steward and not an owner, a budget's crucial. A budget's absolutely crucial. And having God determine that budget is just as important as making one. You can make one all day long, but if the line items on that budget aren't coming from him, you're in trouble, man, okay? Okay? It's a huge piece of what following Jesus with finances looks like. He's the Lord, not me. When it comes to budgeting, we talked about this, right? But we talked about instead of categorizing things as wants and needs, you know, my budget is made up of wants and it's made up of needs. Instead of doing that, a more helpful way to budget is wants and priorities. Wants and priorities. Because here's what happens when you categorize things as wants or needs. Things get kind of tricky. Okay, because the truth is, we don't need much. I mean, think about it. We don't need much, like a roof, absolutely. I need a roof. I need food to eat. I need water. I need basic clothing, right? So the vast majority of things that we actually spend our money on wouldn't actually fall into the needs category the vast majority would find its way into the wants category. Are you tracking with me? Okay. <clears throat> I mean, even the things I listed, right? Like <clears throat> a roof. Like, do we need a 1,500-square-foot home? Do, do we need to eat at a restaurant, you know, food, clothing? Clothing, do, do we need to shop at the mall or would the thrift store clothe us just fine? categorizing things as wants or needs, it's actually really unhelpful. <clears throat> because at, here's, here's what happens in my life, is if it's a want or a need, and the vast majority of things are wants and not needs, then I start to feel guilty whenever I do something that isn't an absolute need, and now I'm, I'm just I'm thrown off here, and I'm missing out on so much of the blessing that God wants to give me in my life. 
categorizing things as wants or needs is not helpful because what happens when we spend our money on bigger things, like a bigger house than what you actually need, or you go out to the steak dinner, or you're like, I'm buying the leather jacket. Like, what happens then? Like, verse 17, it tells us not to put our hope in what? In money, yeah, but in God and who he is and what he's done. And then it says something else. It says that God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So friends, here's my appeal to you. Live as a steward by making and living by a budget and let God determine the priorities of that budget and then enjoy what he has graciously given to you. Enjoy it. Here's what enjoying what he has given to you does not mean, okay? Enjoying what he has given to you does not mean spending more than you have. It is not a justification to kind of like charge it all day long. Okay, Proverbs, what is it? Proverbs 22 says the borrower is slave to the lender. Like, I don't want to be a slave. God doesn't want you to be a slave, okay? Jesus died for your freedom from the bondage and the slavery of sin and death, uh, Trust me, he does not want you to be a slave. So it does not mean spending more than you have. Okay, enjoying what he has graciously given you does not mean hoarding it. Okay, listen, savings, investments, um, emergency funds are not bad things at all. In fact, they're wise because you're putting your money to work. Okay, there's parables in the Bible. I'll show them to you later where... (laughs) it doesn't work out good for people who do not put their money to work and they just let it sit there, okay? So don't hear me say that savings are bad, emergency funds are bad, investments are bad. None of that stuff's bad, okay? Let me uh, read you one quote, one more quote about hoarding, okay? Hoarders place their faith in money as a lifeline, a security blanket, a mechanism of control, and a savior, They collect it, bury it, and obsess over it rather than putting it to use as a productive tool that can greatly benefit many others, never mind enjoying any of it as a gracious gift from God. Some of us justify excessive saving, hoarding, and we go, oh, I'm just a good saver. What's the condition of your heart? Who's really the Lord of those decisions with your finances? Friends, what happens when you follow Jesus in regards to spending is it becomes completely guilt-free. If Jesus is the Lord of your wallet, spending becomes completely guilt-free. It's amazing because Jesus sets the budget. Jesus sets the budget. He determines the priorities. And part of what he provides for us is to enjoy. Like, how cool is that? How cool is that? Part of what God has provided for you is for you to enjoy. He's not the slave driver going, give it all away. Give it all away. Sometimes he calls us to do stuff like that, radical acts of obedience and generosity. But part of his agenda is to provide for his kids. He's a loving father who cares about your needs and he's a loving father who cares about your wants. Okay? But here's the thing. If part of what God gives us to is for us to enjoy, that means money doesn't have to be something that we avoid. 
It doesn't have to be the taboo topic in the church where people don't want to talk about money. I don't want you to know how much money I make. I don't want you to know how much money I spend. I don't want you to know. It doesn't have to be taboo. It doesn't have to be something we avoid. It doesn't have to be something we demonize. And it doesn't have to be something that we fear. Following Jesus with finances means using money to enjoy life, and listen to me, and serve God. Both of those. Enjoy life and serve God. The moment you take one of those out of the equation, it gets funky. It really does. The problems arise when our wants become more important than Jesus' priorities. And when that happens, we stop using money to serve God and we start using it to serve ourselves. That's dangerous, friends. All right, I'm going to close with this. I'll call the band up. Um, like, like I mentioned before and like we've said every week in this series, this is not a series primarily about money. It's primarily about Jesus. So I want to go back to verse 17 one more time. I know we've read it quite a bit, but I want to go back to verse 17 one more time. Go back there with me. I'm going to read it again. As for the rich in this present age, again, that's us, charge them not to be haughty, not to be prideful, not to be arrogant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Bear with me for a second, okay? God is the provider. I'm not the provider. You're not the provider. Men in the room, you need to know something. God's called you to lead, to love, and serve your family. You're not the provider. God is the provider. And what does he provide us with? What does it say that God provides us with? Let me hear it. Everything. That includes money, right? God provides us with everything. Here's my question to you. What do you deserve? Like, what do you actually deserve? You see, the truth is all of us, every single one of us in this room, including me, all of us at times are guilty of putting our hope in money. And in doing so, you need to understand something. We make an accusation against God. When we put our hope in money, we make an accusation against God. In essence, what we say to the most glorious being in the universe is you aren't as glorious as money. We're saying to the most valuable being in the universe, you aren't as valuable as money. Friends, we say to the most powerful being in the universe, you're not as powerful as money. I'll put my hope in that. And guys, do you realize what we do when we put our hope in money? When we put our hope on money, we're literally rejecting God. We're rejecting God and what he desires to be for us. I mean, Romans 1. Romans 1 says, those who reject and disobey God deserve death. Ah. Romans 6 says, the wages of sin is death. 
in love, my friend, I have to ask you pastorally, what do you actually deserve? Now compare that with what God provides. Everything to enjoy. God is incredibly gracious. I mean, the very one whom we reject is the one who provides us with everything to enjoy. Like, do you know what that means? That means that God, the offended party, right, is seeking after your joy, the offender. That's nuts. That's grace. And, I mean, we've talked about this at length. Everything belongs to him. Everything, even the money. I mean, we're stewards, not owners, right? Everything belongs to him. Guys, here's the kicker. God doesn't just provide us with his stuff to enjoy. He provides us with himself. And he is the greatest source of joy in the universe. At the cross, man, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, he gave himself so that we, the very ones who reject him, could have joy, a deeper joy that money could never give us. So guys, what what Paul is showing us in this passage is how to enjoy money instead of being ruled by it. And remember, you can't have two masters, right? Like Matthew 6, you know, Jesus says you cannot serve God and money. You can't have two masters. Hear me say this. If you don't take anything away, take this. You will only be able to truly enjoy the blessings associated with money if your hope is in the one who provides it and not in the money itself. We stand if you're able and want to pray for us. Hmm. Give me just a moment. I'm going to listen for a bit and then I'm going to pray for us, okay? I get a sense that there are many of us who are kind of weary. Um, the ups and the downs of being ruled by money, like the fear, the anxiety, the worry. And I feel like, uh, I feel like God wants to free some of us from that this morning. Like money is a crummy God. Um, it, it can't actually provide you with the security that you desire the uncertainty of riches, not just whether you have it or not, but what it can actually do. I want to pray for you in just a second. I feel like there are some of you that God really is calling you um, 
He's calling you to follow him in specific areas with your finances because he wants you to be free. So Father, I pray for us now, all of us in the room, that we really would be men and women who don't just kind of like pick and choose what areas of our life we're gonna submit to your lordship. We wouldn't justify ourselves in these false gospels. We would actually be like, I wanna follow Jesus and I'm gonna repent in the ways when I don't, whether it's money or other things. Whether it's our finances or whether it's our relationships, whether it's forgiveness, uh, I, know, I feel like there's people in the room who just have not forgiven and God, want, God wants you to know he wants you to let that go this morning because he's forgiven you. He wants to free you from that bitterness that just overcomes your heart and causes you to justify yourself in pride. We don't have to live that way because Jesus died for it. We get to be free. So I pray for my brothers and sisters in the room, Father. I'm so grateful that we get to be together on such a special day. And I pray that our spending specifically with money, our spending would result in actually enjoying you more because you are our provider and you determine the priorities, God. And that's not, that's not bad for us. That's the best place for us to be because you love us and you're with us. It's all grace, man. We deserve, I deserve death, God. I deserve death, but you're gracious to me. But you give us what we need And more importantly, you give us yourself. So I pray that we would be men and women who submit to your lordship in every single area of our lives. Not reluctantly, but because we look to the cross and go, you are so good, you are so wise, you are so loving towards me and gracious towards me. I delightfully give you all that I am. Would you give us all faith this morning, God? I pray that we would submit and we would experience the abundant joy of the riches that we have in you and you alone, God. I love you and trust you. In your holy name, Jesus, amen.